Welcome to Business Lines State of the Economy podcast where you will find insight analysis and the story behind the numbers. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Business Line podcast. Today we are going to discuss about the green hydrogen ecosystem which promises to be a key enabler of India's clean energy transition particularly in the transport and logistics sector. as well as in the polluting segments such as steel making refineries and fertilizers to speak on these various aspects of green hydrogen we have with us uh, mr pawan mulukatla who is the director for integrated transport electric mobility and hydrogen at the world resources institute india uh, pawan has more than two decades of experience professional experience working at the intersection of urban mobility energy and environment He has been at the forefront of various policy developments at the national and the sub-national levels or the state levels, regional levels. Among his recent milestones is his leading WRI's knowledge support for the development of the National Green Hydrogen Mission, which has been recently announced by India's Ministry of New and Renewable Energy. Pawan has also enabled development of various policy initiatives aimed at the electrification of public transport solutions. he has been a critical force in enabling subnational systemic changes that have led to the ongoing acceleration of electric mobility at the state level his insights on green hydrogen and its impact on transport could offer deep insights to our readers and audiences on the commercial aspects related with the green commodity hello pawan welcome to our podcast i hope it is an invigorating session the first question for you is that how do you when you look at india's green energy transition and with particularly focus on the key polluting transport sector how do you analyze the progress that the country has made so far and or do you feel that a more concerted effort is required hi rishi and thank you for having me on this podcast i think coming to your question on the whole uh, energy transition specifically for mobility sector i think a lot has been done and of course uh, a lot more obviously needs to be done now you know there have been so many national policies right uh, there was fame 1 there's fame 2 there are talks about fame 3 policies also and um, you know we have made um, quite a progress i mean today we have almost about close to 4300 electric buses that are uh, you know moving around on indian roads we also have close to 1 million electric two wheelers we have close to 1 million electric three wheelers and of course uh, close to 60000 electric cars I think um, given this and in addition we are also targeting how do we make india as a strong manufacturing base you know there was this whole pli scheme that was launched uh, to ensure that battery manufacturing happens in india and we are not just the end users and in addition there was also this advanced chemistry cell acc uh, scheme which really talks about ensuring that alternative chemistries are also being uh, tested and piloted and uh, getting mm-hmm. implemented so there is a whole lot that is actually happening today and also in the green hydrogen mission also there is a specific focus on um, mobility where it really talks about getting hydrogen trucks and hydrogen buses um, in the next few years to really pilot and be supported so that those learnings can then help us grow so i would really say that uh, from where we were 
five, six years back and where we are, it's a huge jump. And in addition, I also wanted to bring one more data point yeah. is about the role of startups. In fact, we have seen, you know, startups, so many of them coming in um, batteries, in um, charging infrastructure, in manufacturing of two-wheelers, three-wheelers. So I see that the whole ecosystem and almost close to $1 billion investment has been, um, has come through from startups. So definitely, definitely, there's a huge sea change in the way we are looking in the transition. But much more to do because we really still need to focus on how would we get trucks which contribute almost to 34 percent of the transport emissions how do we really ensure that you know whether it is through battery electric or through hydrogen fuel cell how would we really ensure their transition so there's a lot more that we also need to think from both a policy and regulation perspective yeah so our next question is you know about the prospects of the green hydrogen ecosystem and um, uh, though some part you've already covered in your first question, um, we'd like a little more deeper insight on, you know, where is our present ecosystem in terms in the country? How much developed is the present ecosystem? And and where do we need to reach from here with India having ambitious goals for 2030? Uh, you, uh, where do you think we are right now? And where do you think we should be by 2030 or in between if there are any key milestones? You know, very interesting question. So, you know, currently it's not that we don't use hydrogen. We use almost six metric million tons of hydrogen on an annual basis. And this is derived from fossil fuels like natural gas, coal gasification and naphtha. Mm -hmm. And this accounts for almost close to, you know, 8.5% of the global demand with the majority using uh, petroleum refining and ammonia production and so forth. And we are also going to see a huge uh, demand for hydrogen, almost reaching close to 28 million tons uh, by 2050. Now, the question is, that's why if you see the National Green Hydrogen Mission that was launched earlier uh, this year with almost close to uh, 19,700 crores um, of outlay, yeah. the focus is on uh, key sectors, right? This green hydrogen can be used as a vector for industrial decarbonization because these are very hard to abate sectors. Yeah. For example, your refinery, your fertilizer industry, um, your, you know, gas. So you can uh, city gas distribution, your cement, steel. So there are, all, in addition to mobility applications, there is a huge industrial application for hydrogen and we currently use and we call it as gray hydrogen. So I think this is such a important and a uh, ripe opportunity for us to really transition to green hydrogen yeah so something which is closely related with this is government is actually really trying if you look at the green energy transitions whether there are the annual um, you know auctions for renewable energy assets or or you know providing incentives for manufacturing you know allowing them zero duties for a year uh, government is really trying its best to you know leverage the current situations and you know chart a clean energy transition. What are the initiatives in this National Hydrogen Mission which you think really have the intensity to spur our industrial decarbonization as you were? Uh, if you could go and give us some little more deeper insights into, um, you know, initiatives in the National Hydrogen Mission or otherwise which the government is leveraging for one industrial decarbonization and decarbonizing the transport sector. 
Sure. I'll share the details of green hydrogen mission shortly. But, you know, one thing I wanted to point out was yeah. we already have an installed capacity of um, renewable energy of more than 100 gigawatt of both wind and solar uh, capacity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we have also committed to 500 gigawatt. Uh, our Honorable Prime Minister had, commit, had announced India's even net zero target by 2070. And we are also on a mission. Um, to achieve energy independence by 2047. Yeah. And in that context, this uh, National Green Hydrogen Mission was launched. What does this mission aim to do by 2030? It says that, you know, we'll achieve 5 million metric tons of green hydrogen produced annually, which is yeah. fantastic because this will require at least about 125 gigawatt of renewable energy to really generate 5 million metric tons. Yeah. And it has potential to reduce more than 50 million tons of carbon dioxide. So you can see uh, the potential of this transition. It is one we are talking about uh, addressing our um, or meeting our climate commitments. And India is one of the very few countries that has announced very solid targets. Yeah. In addition, we're also talking about this whole green development paradigm which is about creating jobs through this green transition i think india has probably only country which is looking at a very different model of transition it's not just about climate it is also about economic development job creation and the national mission really talks about creating six lakh jobs by 2030 so the mission you know, uh, clearly outlines a very comprehensive strategy to promote green hydrogen productions and its utilizations across various sectors at large scale. And we're also talking about um, exporting. We, you know, some of the key aspects or features of the mission are, you know, creating a demand um, and, you know, substituting the grey hydrogen with green hydrogen and generating bulk demand through domestic consumption, which I talked in various industries, you know, long haul heavy duty energy storage, shipping, steel and hard to abate sectors. It also talks about a very interesting incentive program called SITE, which is Strategic Intervention for Green Hydrogen Transition, which will facilitate the growth of the green hydrogen value chain in the country. So this component includes, you know, like various financial and non-financial incentives mm -hmm. aimed at promoting low-cost green hydrogen production and domestic manufacturing. And then last, it's also building an enabling ecosystem to support scaling and development through key enablers. So, you know, like availability of key resources like renewable energy, water, land and transmission lines, which are very essential for green hydrogen, developing necessary infrastructure, also importantly to need to have clear and consistent regulations and standards for ensuring safety and quality of hydrogen productions and then implementing policies um, for ease of doing business simplifying procedures and providing tax picks and of course finally skill development and public awareness so it fits in the overall picture if you see how detailed it has been thought through we are not just looking at hydrogen as you know one off it really fits in the overall um, energy transition picture, which looks at both the climate commitments and, and, and ensuring that we are reducing the, um, you know, the greenhouse gas uh, emissions and at the same time ensuring development and, you know, creating jobs. Uh, I had a supplementary question since we were, dis we are discussing about how can we make green hydrogen commercially viable. And if you remember that Indian government and industry, Indian government has been encouraging the industry to apply for various green hydrogen tenders which have come. 
for instance, that Germany has a green hydrogen tender, which is right now in evaluation stages. Uh, and uh, Indian companies are trying to apply for that tender. Uh, I understand that it's a beginning and initially things, there are hiccups before things become smooth. How do you view this uh, this aspect of you know, government uh, encouraging uh, private uh, corporates why for global tenders? Though it is just a beginning and it's, it's a very new product. Uh, if you could share your thoughts on how can we make it more easier or convenient for um, private players to explore more such opportunities globally. See, one of the things in the value chain is uh, one important component of green hydrogen is the electrolyzer and the renewable energy. So I think the renewable energy part we are addressed and will continue to address. I think India has cracked that. Yeah. What would be challenging for us is the whole electrolyzer for creating you know, a robust value of green hydrogen and also to ensure that it's commercially viable. So keeping this in mind exactly what you said, Rishi, is the mission has recognized, you know, upscaling the production and the development of high-performance electrolyzers in sufficient volumes as vital intervention. So therefore, to limit the dependency on imports and ensure supply chain resilience, we definitely need to develop a very robust domestic um, yeah. electrolyzer manufacturing ecosystem. Yeah. And therefore, the mission proposes interventions to boost this uh, domestic manufacturing, which will significantly lower the cost of electrolyzers. And this will also enable competitiveness of you know, made in India green hydrogen in the uh, international markets. And how is it planning to do that is one of the through the site intervention that I was talking yes. earlier about that there are two distinct financial incentive mechanisms that have been taken into consideration for supporting the domestic or the local manufacturing. One is with an outlay of 4,440 crores, which will be provided for five years to incentivize electrolyzer manufacturing uh, with an aim to maximize the indigenous capabilities. And this will be implemented by MNRE through uh, Solar Energy Corporation of India, SECI, through competitive selection. And this selection process includes, you know, bidders um, ranked, and we are also looking at incentive period. We'll start at uh, almost rupees 4,440 per kilowatt for a year, which will then gradually taper. The other component is about 13,050 crores, which will be provided for three years to incentivize actually the production of green hydrogen. And we are even talking about its derivatives such as green ammonia and enhance their cost effectiveness and upscale their utilization. And again, this scheme will be implemented by MNRE uh, through um, SECI on a competitive selection and incentive period. So if you see these two, I think we are talking about two different incentives to really, really push very hard. It's actually almost the majority of the mission, um, the scheme itself is focused on electrolyzer manufacturing and also giving incentive for um, production-linked incentive, uh, which is green hydrogen-based uh, incentives. Yeah. Beautifully put, Pawan. Um, so, well, I'll, e I'll ease into our, the next question, which, which closely associates with what you were just speaking about, you know, pushing for electrolyzers and here it's here electrolyzers as a is is supposed to be the key to a you know a robust value chain and especially electrolyzer manufacturing and uh, i understand right now they are quite expensive uh, what are the sorts of electrolyzer technologies right now that india is experimenting with or uh, india is looking at exploring which ones of them are more commercially viable and you know how how will this whole exercise of you know 
having electrolyzers manufacturing ecosystem you know take place because right now from for for a novice from um, people from the outside look at is as a herculean endeavor so uh, you know if you could break it down and explain to us this manufacturing processes systems and how will it you know help us going ahead as economies of scale kick in and you know prices start to soften yeah see there are typically three types of electrolyzers one is known as alkaline electrolyzer and it's been uh, there for many decades then yeah. there is something called as pem electrolyzer or proton exchange membrane and then the solid state oxide um, electrolyzer yeah. currently uh, both alkaline and pem are dominant and solid oxide will eventually evolve uh, more but the one um, and PEM are comparatively you know better in efficiency and also a little expensive compared to alkaline but they are more well suited for the electrolyzers that we are talking about so the industry is right now looking at PEM electrolyzers see we will need and um, through our research into this is where I was uh, saying that you know what we call as the death valley that we have research institutes on par and really excellent, which do uh, the whole technology TRL levels of, you know, between one to four. And then commercialization happens at level eight and nine. What mm -hmm. India faces the challenge is between this whole five to eight or four to seven spectrum where you don't have a solid combination of where the research institutes academia and the industry comes together to really ensure that they're able to develop this to move from a TRL level 4 to TRL level 7. And that is where we need India to really invest in and create this whole big environment of R&D. So we'll need a lot of R&D. A lot of this will require critical minerals as well. Let's not forget that. And we may not have access to all of them today. We will need to really engage with uh, multiple countries to get access to this. That's one. Second, we will need to have strong focus on research in India to see how are we able to substitute some of this material. So the material science aspects of R&D becomes extremely, extremely important. That's why we need to invest more on that. And then, of course, the policy and the regulation ecosystem. I think all these three steps then make it really work on how India can then take that lead. Because we can't simply say that we want to manufacture something without having a backing of complete R&D in India. Makes sense. So, Pavan, uh, you, you'd be aware that the Ministry of New and Renewable Energy has recently come out with a medium and long-term uh, research and development roadmap for the sector, which, right. which speaks about, among many things, fuel cells, green hydrogen electrolyzers. You, you have actually hit the nail on the head that right now, research and development will be the key for us to move forward. Based on this and MNRE's R&D roadmap, right now, are we doing the right amount of exercise for an R&D push? If not, what is required? And if we are doing... Uh, what are the aspects that you think will help us, you know, move ahead much swiftly? I'm glad you brought about about that roadmap again. Um, it's excellent that MNRE has demonstrated its leadership in showing that R&D is an important component of our green hydrogen energy transition journey. And I think if you have seen, and uh, in fact, just WRL India also contributed to this um, yes, R&D roadmap. Yes, yes. So I think it really talks about, you know, two, three things, right? One is the whole, uh, the need for uh, different testing equipments, 
and then material science was a big component right. of this roadmap yes. and how do you really have different facilities to really make this happen and mm -hmm. then it also talks about um, you know r&d priorities one which is on mission mode which is like what do we really need in the next 5 years yeah. like you know what we were discussing rishi just now you know need to develop materials which have 4 to 5% weightage percent of storage it also talks about cost reduction of alloys uh, alloys and then indigenous manufacturing interestingly it also talks about use of artificial intelligence and machine learning to find high performing materials and uh, optimized designs so i think these steps and and then of course standards and regulations given hydrogen's uh, combustibility so uh, there are those immediate uh, priorities that have been clearly laid out and then of course there is this um, grand challenge mission which talks about priorities for the next 0 to 8 years which looks at facilities infrastructure you know the startup ecosystem and then of course uh, talking about the manufacturing and all that and then it talks about a very long term which is about 15 years which looks at more of the um, new materials large scale yeah. deployment and better strength the key here remains again i think this is good that the priorities have been um, identified and i think the mission also actually does an allocation to r&d but mm -hmm. what we are talking about for an r&d at the scale and to be global leaders and also drive the conversation in global south we will need to mm -hmm. see much more investments in the r&d and we also need to understand that r&d you know takes time it's not like uh, where you can do today and you'll have an output we should be okay to say that you know we are ready to burn cash because that's how then you are able to test different alternatives and then you try 10 things and maybe one will work that is the whole thinking of r&d right the roadmap is set we need huge investments to be seen in r&d and then we also need two types of r&d right one r&d which is very long term but we also need an r&d which is more of the industry research institute academia uh, consortium because mm -hmm. we need to address problems which are at hand right now yes. so both a uh, combination uh, need to go hand in hand so a, a key issue about green hydrogen will be storage because of its low density storage becomes very important and here it is uh, some uh, this is something which our also audiences would also be interested in understanding from your expertise uh, that how how is it possible right now because in uh, storage is it will become costly so how 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 should uh, you know uh, people who are pursuing Uh, want to know more about green hydrogen how should they look at you know storage issues with green hydrogen see to begin with i think we'll have to think of co-location right one okay. where yeah. we are producing hydrogen and consuming at the site and that's why i think all these industrial applications become obviously easier when you're talking about your refineries or your fertilizer or steel or cement as you rightly said you know uh, transporting pure compressed hydrogen at high pressures or what we call as uh, cryogenic states would be extremely energy intensive and it will become uneconomical for large scale usage uh, so one alternative is to use hydrogen vectors like ammonia which offer solutions for transportation and it requires further research and development because once you uh, the challenge is if you are converting it into a different form uh, there will be energy loss and then again reconverting back there will be cost so i think this becomes a challenge there are three different primary options for hydrogen transportation one is through pipelines 
one is uh, the pressurized trucks and the third is shipping uh, trucks are you know suitable for very short distance 200 300 kilometers due to low conversion cost and for long distances when you're talking about 1000 to 3000 4000 pipelines and then of course shipping is when you're doing you know more than 5000 and this all these are very uh, would require high infrastructure costs also typically pipelines are considered as the most cost effective for high volumes and long distance when there is consistent demand. So one way to do which we are seeing is this whole repurposing of natural gas pipelines, which can be used for hydrogen transportation and can be blend. Mm -hmm. And we have to see this on a case by case, which will depend upon the type of the steel which is used in the pipeline and the purity of hydrogen that is being transferred. Interestingly, India possesses an extensive natural gas infrastructure, which offers a huge potential for hydrogen transportation by blending it with natural gas and therefore reducing the need for very capital incentive hydrogen pipeline. So this is one part. The other part you were asking me was about this whole storage and storage can be you know looked at from uh, two perspectives. One is um, how do we ensure increasing the affordability and scaling of green hydrogen infrastructure through its supply chain, including yeah. transportation and distribution where we really need to do multiple pilot projects which are coming out with emerging technologies. Uh, for example, you know, port infrastructure would require for green hydrogen its derivative, like you know, green ammonia bunkers, real refueling stations, and pipelines to facilitate bulk transport. So here you will require coordination of various ministries to play an integral role, and then of course you need regulations and standards. You know, you, we also need to look at the whole option of can we look at decentralized green hydrogen production? Mm. That's one way which we were talking earlier, right? co-location and just use it at the site and the other part is this whole development of what we call as hydrogen hubs or valleys where you actually are talking about creating a huge cluster and this is what even the government of india has announced on creating a hydrogen valley cluster where all your industries your uses everything is located in one region and that way it becomes then easier for the industry to really uh, mature as you were explaining about transporting it, mixing it with natural gas, we are we are having Indian OMCs and companies are running various experiments on mixing HCNG, HPNG. When I covered it last year, the talk was about mixing up to 15% of hydrogen with CNG and PNG because at 15%, embitterment is at the lowest level. That is what it was said then. But last month, EIL has submitted a report, uh, Engineers India Limited, and the, the initial report says that up to 3% can be mixed. Just wanted to get more clarity on this, that about this mixing of green hydrogen with the natural gas. But right now, what is this mixing percentage and at what level are we? I think a lot of, um, you know, I heard Gail was experimenting. Yes, and in some they are doing Yes. Yeah. So they were actually testing this blending percentages and we have to do it very carefully. So right now, I think um, we may be testing, you know, close to 5%, 6% and gradually increase and see. Sorry, um, I'm interrupting you because the issue that you rightly pointed out is about the pipeline. So the old pipelines would need some changing right now. That is the initial thought because of the metal composition and the new ones are better. The new ones which are being laid right now, they have a better composition. So is this also a concern? You know, just uh, will be. No, I think I was mentioning earlier, right, Rishi, that we will need 
to see the steel with which the pipelines are made and in the what is the composition and what is its capability to really yes. transport the percentage of hydrogen. So this, I would say that we'll have to do trials and understand this. There's no direct number to tell us this will work because we have to see how much are these uh, existing old and both new infrastructure able to take. And we have to be very careful, right? We don't want any safety hazards or issues to come out. So I would really say that gradual uh, increase in percentage and testing would be good. And there is therefore, we'll also need research. If you're talking about 15% blend and, you know, 20%, I've heard 20% blend also. In that case, we'll have to talk about what kind of infrastructure are we talking about? I don't think the existing infrastructure per se may be able to cater to such high percentages. But we were sort of surprised by the 3% number given by EIL, but it's still their initial report. So moving on, the G20 Energy Transition Ministers meeting, the Energy Transition Working Group meeting, and the Clean Energy Ministerials just got concluded. And one of the green hydrogen was a key theme in all of these. Uh, something which everyone has, a lot of people have pointed out is the spate of growing protectionism. And what they suggest is that there should be a global standard. So while every almost a lot of countries are working on their own R&D initiatives and are developing their own standards, many of them point out that at this stage, it would be pertinent that if there is a single standard, so, you know, in future to avoid unnecessarily hassles or issues which would arise. For instance, India has um, expressed its reservations about the German tender of having a separate transmission line for providing clean energy or renewable energy. So instances like this, we assume will grow if every country has their own standards. Yeah, see, that's what India was trying to do with this whole uh, energy transition working groups to get consensus. The consensus wasn't there. This consensus was around the standard for hydrogen. Yes. And I think we proposed certain standards also. I don't yes. think there was any consensus that was uh, finally no. developed. Uh, but what I see more happening is that there will be more, more of bilateral agreements that will start coming up. This is how countries will test their strategies and will also uh, test the technologies where they will say that we will see where we can produce. Some countries will import, some countries will export. And therefore, I think um, while India plays this global leadership in you know, a role of bringing everyone together on building this consensus, uh, but I think we also need to look at how do we really ensure we are able to grow our own domestic industry right now. Thank you. That's that's very well put. Uh, the last question and, and, and the most pertinent question, which we require a huge, huge amount of investments in the whole ecosystem. What are your thoughts on what is the sort of finances we will require? It seems that the intent is there globally. This issue has always has also resonated in the G20, where the chair's comment says that they have urged developed countries to, you know, fulfill their obligations. So your thoughts on finances and how we'll get them or how we can manage them? Looking at the the outcome note and you know rightly put it says that you know investment to the tune of usd 4 trillion would be needed yeah um, with a high share of renewable energy in the primary energy mix which i think is happening but the investment you know is a huge huge challenge i think 
right now uh, based upon what we are seeing we are seeing in uh, totally the commitment from uh, this developed nations totally coming to 80 to 85 billion a year somewhere i've read that you know 100 billion was the number that was talked about but yes every early we know that these uh, are not enough uh, therefore i think even this was suggested right i think uh, a subsequent uh, note on the same document also talks about the need for um, international finance institutions and multilateral Multilateral. development banks. Yeah, the chair summary has it. Yeah, to enhance and develop new mechanisms and products to the growing needs to promote low cost, uh, low access, I mean, to promote better access to low cost financing for developing countries. Honestly, Rishi, I don't know what the answer is, Uh, you know, to be fair, because we are seeing all this money coming, but I think the expectation is also that uh, with government putting funding, they are able to unlock private capital and how that's how the markets will really work. And therefore, some of the key thoughts I have is that we need to create this as a project finance. We need to ensure that, you know, these are all bankable um, contracts with sovereign guarantees. Mm-hmm. And we are using every dollar um, to unlock private capital finance and at the same time also able to create jobs. I think the keeping these principles as a starting point would really help. Why I, we were asking you this question is because you rem- recently the tender for 5,000 e-buses did not find any takers. The response was very poor and the OEMs have been saying that the financial profile of the straight transport corporations is very poor and would they be able to meet their financial commitments? So they are asking the government for to manage non-recourse financing for them. So, which, which in in a sense, points out the problems that are there. The... Basically, you know, you need very watertight contracts. You need the contracts to be digitized. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Second, just look at that um, eBus example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, two, three things need to happen. We need to have payment security mechanisms. You need to ensure that, you know, there is either a public-backed, security mechanism or a private insurance that really ensures that operators will be paid on time you know that's they're talking about and then third you need really uh, you know they're not saying it pay for the whole project can you really create can the states come forward and say that we will add viability gap funding on a per kilometer basis see there are models to make this work but it requires certain processes to be put in place You are absolutely right that the STUs don't have the funds and OEMs and operators are not going to just come because STUs want them to deploy buses. These are some things that need to be backed by both state and central level guarantees. We have not paid attention. But having said that for buses, I'm sure for hydrogen, there will be much more thought process because it's not like an, um, you know, an individual rolling stock that's being put, unlike buses. I agree. That brings us to to the close of the session. And uh, I must thank you, Pawan, uh, for, you know, making it so simpler for me and our audiences. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rishi. Thoroughly enjoyed it.